We are 399 days into the war between Russia and Ukraine, and now Russia is planning to station nuclear weapons in neighboring Belarus. Is this an escalation in the conflict? Should we be concerned about the use of nukes and even the discussion surrounding them once again? Joining us to talk about it is our friend Andrew Rasoulis, fellow at the Canadian Global Affairs Institute and an expert in Eastern European affairs. Good morning, Andrew. Thanks for being with us again. Good morning, Sue and Andy. Boy, 399 days into this conflict, uh, what are we hearing now in terms of nuclear weaponry, and is it time to start to get worried? Okay, the nuclear weaponry thing is, uh, is the Russians making the point yet again that they are a nuclear superpower. And uh, they have said this many times, they were saying it again last week, uh, nuclear superpowers are, do not get defeated, not existentially. And Medvedev, their Security Council chief, said specifically last week that Russia is prepared to use any and all of their nuclear forces to defend Russia's interests. And then he went specifically related that to Crimea. So this is not new. But what the Russians are once again reaffirming, as the Ukrainians may be preparing their spring offensive, in fact, they are preparing a spring offensive, is they're laying the groundwork saying that should the Ukrainian offensive be dramatically successful, should it threaten Crimea, as Ukrainians have said, they would like to liberate Crimea. And the Russians are saying, no, this is existentially key to Russia. And the deployment of the, uh, the tactical nuclear weapons to Belarus under the state U- union agreement thing uh, suggests that the Russians are simply positioning their pieces on the chessboard in this nuclear deterrent exercise, if you will. But this is nuclear deterrence. This is to dissuade, not to attack. So what the bottom line Russians are saying, don't touch Crimea. Mm. That's really the line. And if Crimea were to be touched, the Russians are saying there might be a nuclear war. Gotcha. Okay, that's where we're sitting there on that situation, Andrew. Uh, Let's talk 400 days in, basically, to the conflict. Do we know any kind of, even if it's ballpark, casualty count on on both sides for the russian military and for the ukrainian people and military yeah so the the the, we do not know so i can give you uh guesstimates they're wild and they're out there well they're not that wild they're they're kind of reasonable um the number two hundred thousand comes to mind uh as a casualty not death we we really do not have a figure on deaths versus injuries but casualties, so therefore people taken out of the battlefield one way or the other. Uh, roughly 200,000, probably a bit more on the Russian side uh, than the Ukrainian side, but one should not underestimate the fact that the Ukrainians have also lost a lot of uh, forces. Um, there, there's been a lot of secrecy around the Ukrainian casualties uh, and more, more open discussion from the Western sources on uh, Russian casualties, like particularly from the intelligence side. So we know that the Russians have got huge casualties, roughly 200,000. But so have the Ukrainians. You can say this has been a war of attrition that has impacted significantly both sides. Let's talk a little bit about uh, the tanks, the large weaponry that has been sent to Ukraine from Germany, from Britain, from Canada even. Is it having or will it have? Have we seen any impact in the war effort from that yet? It is happening, but there's no impact yet because the, um, these uh, pieces of equipment, uh, the, the tanks, the artillery, uh, the infantry fighting vehicles, they, they all have to work together. They're a part of a combat team, and they are arriving on scene. In fact, the Canadian tanks for sure are in Poland. When they cross into Ukraine, I don't think we'll know about it. Um, but, uh, so, but what the Ukrainians now are doing is building up uh, units that integrate 
these uh, these uh, these weapon systems, and then prepare those units for the upcoming offensive operations. So we will only see the effect of these systems uh, in an offensive operation sometime this spring. The Ukrainians are really keeping a lid, uh, as they should, uh, on the timing. This is a secret. Uh, so uh, we only hear things like the spring offensive. When that offensive takes place, and we don't know when it'll take place or where it'll take place, but it will likely be at the choosing of the Ukrainians to try to punch a hole in the Russian line. The Ukrainians will not have sufficient forces uh, to actually conduct a major offensive across the entire Russian line. Rather, they will choose an area, probe through, punch through, and, and in likelihood threaten Crimea. So that would suggest an attack in the south. But I don't want to predict that. I'm just saying this is postulations. Speaking with Andrew Rasoulis, fellow of the Canadian Global Affairs Institute and an expert in Eastern European affairs. Uh, looks like at, at this point, Finland is a step closer to NATO membership. Do we anticipate their application and membership to be approved? And how will uh, Russians uh, react to this? Yeah, Finland, Finland the, the Turks have, uh, have relented. So they, there is an agreement there. And Finland, Finland will join. Sweden is still um, out there. The Turks still have issues uh, with the Swedes on the Kurd issue. Um, the Russians have been fairly benign on that. Um, I don't think the, the Russians have not made huge noises. They've said that they will, if, if Finland, well, now it's going to be when Finland joins, uh, the Russians will take what they call appropriate military measures that correspond to Finland's measures. So basically, if the Finns do nothing, if they join and then do nothing, the Russians will probably do nothing because they have a huge border with Finland. On the other hand, you know, if you see like American forces being stationed in Finland, well, I think the Russians will, will beef up their forces and they'll do something. They may bring up tactical nuclear weapons up there, do something like that. So the Russians are going to react to the Finns and NATO in that. But so far, the Russians have been fairly uh, benign in their response. They don't really see the Finns as a major issue uh, or a threat to Russia right now. Will Ukraine ever be a member of NATO? Uh, that's unlikely, not impossible, but unlikely. The most um, the most prevalent speculation is that uh, whenever this war ends uh, with some form of a more likely a ceasefire rather than a political agreement, but there might be one one day, is that uh, Ukraine would receive security guarantees on a bilateral basis from certain countries, like from NATO countries, but not as an alliance as a whole. Uh, the idea of bringing Ukraine into NATO would require um, a, a unanimity of all the alliance members, which, uh, which is probably unlikely to occur, uh, particularly NATO putting itself in the position of a potential war with Russia, because this would only be considered when there was a ceasefire and an end to the conflict. But that would be a very unstable situation. That's the best we can hope for, is that the militarized zone Highly unstable, but nevertheless, people not shooting at each other. So my answer, long answer to you is unlikely, not impossible, unlikely, but security guarantees more likely, bilaterally. Andrew, what do we know about the climate within Russia right now, the Russian people and perhaps the support or lack thereof for uh, Vladimir Putin? Where are we at with that? Yeah, so, well, so the bottom line, Putin remains firmly in charge. His uh, political challenge is not so much from uh, the, the liberals, if you will, or the Democrats. Uh, Navalny's in prison. He, he, uh, the, those, the people who support Navalny are still a very um, a notable minority within Russia. We hear about them, but they're still a minority. They are not a political threat directly under the current circumstances. But 
a problem for Putin is the right on the right side, the nationalists, the Russian nationalists. Uh, even Pikorshin, the guy who's leading the mercenary group, the Wagner group, he's trying, he's making noises. He's, he's suggesting that he might be running against Putin in the 2024 presidential election. You know, so this is where the threats are. And if you look at the Russian media space, it's, it's, and it's semi-official, of course, it's all about criticism of Putin for not doing enough in the war, not winning the war, not there's no one uh, saying, notably saying, stop the war and pull out of Ukraine. There is zero, there is near zero political uh, 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 voices in Russia saying that at the public level. Yes, you'll find individuals, but not in any significant political movement. You're so knowledgeable, Andrew. Thanks for always sharing your take on things with us. Appreciate your time this morning. My pleasure. Great to talk to you um, at such an early hour for you. Absolutely. Thanks so much. That is Andrew Rasoulis, fellow at the Canadian Global Affairs Institute and an expert in Eastern European affairs.